The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the U.S. Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP. That's cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome on the birds. This is Zach Spedden's Wind is always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And we've got a lot of interesting topics to get into on tonight's show. We're going to talk about how we would combine tools of certain players into one. This is a segment that Nick brought up at the end of last week's show, and we decided to dive into it tonight. In addition, we're going to talk about Judd Fabian's hot streak at Aberdeen and Kobe Mayo's ongoing on-base streak with the Bowie Bay Sox. But first, as we like to do at the beginning of new shows, we want to welcome new members of our Patreon community. And with that, I'll turn it over to Bob. Yeah, we do have a couple of new patrons as I pull it up uh, sneakily. Um, let's see. D. Black, Danny Fitzmaurice, Ryan Miller, Mikhail Nathani, Cole Sims, and Alex Frick. Welcome aboard. I, I think the seven-day free trial thing is bringing some people in, and hopefully we're keeping them there. So thanks for joining. Yeah, and absolutely. Right now you can sign up for a seven-day free trial of Patreon. 
And if you want to go beyond that, you can join for as little as $3 and get access to our WhatsApp uh, chat. And then at the 5 and $10 levels, get bonus daily content and monthly updates to our top 50 prospect list. And one of the guys that ranks highly on our top 50 prospect list is Kobe Mayo, who went one for three in Bowie's 5-2 to two loss at Uri on Sunday, extending his current on-base streak to 25 games. This is part of the season that has seen Mayo take off at Bowie as he's hitting 280, 404, 513 with a 149 WRC plus in 235 plate appearances to start off the season with the Bay Sox. Also getting a little bit more attention nationally in top 100 prospect rankings, yet it feels like his season has really not gotten the do it deserves so far. And that's something we've talked about a lot on this show. So we thought tonight we'd take a little bit deeper dive into his success with the Bay Sox this season. And Nick, I'll start off with you because you've been bringing this up a lot on this show and on Twitter about how Mayo maybe not getting the credit he deserves for the success he's having so far. Just to start off, can you put into context what he's doing for Billy over the first two plus months and why it's been so impressive? Because these are phenomenal numbers he's putting up. I mean, yeah, I, ever since I said he's not getting enough love, like I, I feel like he's just the numbers in production he's putting up has been bigger each week since then. And I kept saying leading up to this season that like the real breakout for Kobe Mayo was going to come this year. And I think it, it is fully here because you have to remember a couple of things like that I think get overlooked. He was drafted in 2020 as a high schooler. So he's already making that massive jump from the high school ranks to the pros coming off that year, that final year of high school ball that got impacted by COVID. So that was a wash. Then he finally gets to begin his career in 2021 and he's got the knee injury that he missed half the year for. And he even said himself, I went back and read some interview, interview he did with John Mioli that he admitted when he missed half the year due to the knee injury, like that zapped him of, of a lot of his strength and power. So he didn't have that, but yet he's still playing in 53 games across two levels and had a 981 OPS with the FCL Orioles and Delmarva. Then he gets to Aberdeen, meets that Aberdeen wall. And we heard firsthand that the batted ball data was much better than what the back of the baseball card said about him and thought, all right, when he gets to Bowie, he's going to break out. It's going to be huge. Then he has the back spasms and he's a 20 year old kid. And those double A pitchers are looking at this 20 year old kid rise so quickly with his massive raw power. They're not giving him a single fastball. Like, you, you think like, you think I'm stupid if I want to pitch you a fastball right now. No, it's all breaking balls and secondaries. So he had to adjust, and this year we saw the adjustment. He said he's put on weight. He looks much bigger and stronger this year. Everything is clicking, and you know I think normally right now, in, in a normal season with you know normal prospects in a system, we would see Mayo in AAA already, but you've got Westbrook, Norby, Ortiz all there in AAA, so there's just no playing time. Kerstad's even up. He takes some playing time away at first base. I just don't think he has anything left to prove at double A. It's just a playing time issue. And unfortunately, you just gonna have to wait a little bit. But I mean, every everything is clicking for Kobe Mayo right now. Everything looks good. Even the strikeout rate is, I think it's up to 26%. I think it ticked up, finally ticked up there. Yeah. I don't care. Uh, everything else still looks so good. And for the type of player that he is, I'll gladly take a 26% strikeout rate. And it's like we're seeing with Gunnar Henderson, you know, he was striking out a little over 30% this early going with the oils. And it's actually 
I think his success is tied to him being more aggressive at the plate, swinging a, a high impact guy. You gotta you gotta swing the bat more to get to that impact, and you're gonna swing and miss. It's gonna happen, but it's a it's definitely a fair trade off when you have a guy that could conceivably hit 40 home runs. I feel like point in his major league career down the line. Um, yeah, Mayo, he's my number two prospect in the system for a reason. And interesting, we're talking about him today. Tomorrow could be an interesting day for him uh, on a national scale. We'll see. We'll see. But, um, yeah, what is there not to say? 14.5% rate, that's just huge. Like, even in high A last year, he walked 94% of the time. So that's a 5% increase from there. And you're seeing it. He's he's buying into the swings. He's had time to just really sit and work on that and – you spit on the breaking stuff and then you crush the, the hittable stuff. And, and that's what he's been doing all season long. And what's holding them back from AAA is that there's no room for him or he'd already be there. So it's just a matter of time. He's a guy that next spring training, who knows? He's, he's going to have probably a couple months of AAA production at the end of this season. And then we'll see what he looks like in spring training. But I feel like he's going to be the guy next year that, Bring up Kobe. Where's Kobe? He's he's down there mashing in AAA. He should be up at the majors. He'll be next year's Colton Cowser, basically, is what I'm trying to say. It's been interesting to watch Mayo's season so far because if you compare them to where he ended up at Bowie last year, his walk and strikeout numbers have trended in the right direction. Nick, I agree with you. When someone's hitting for that much power, you can live the 26% strikeout rate, but then you add on top of that that he's walking 14.5% of the time. And that adds even more value to what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, 21 years old still. Dunn turned 22 until the end of the season. So three years younger than everybody else at AA, the average player at AA, at 149 WRC plus. So he's 49% above you know, league average player here at AA. Extra base hits, he already has 19 doubles as well. Like He's going to surpass his doubles and uh, home run numbers, just all of it. And, I mean, I think – there is a legitimate argument that Kobe Mayo, this, this is why it's so fun. And I think all of us have a different number two prospect on our top 50 list. But like I sat there and really, Kobe Mayo is not my number two prospect, but I thought long and hard about it. And I think if you're thinking like future value, the, the max ceiling for these guys, I would have Kobe Mayo at number two, I think, because right now a 21 year old with a 149 WRC plus and double a, and I think you can like, stop parroting the he's going to move off third baseline that MLB pipeline is going to include in their write-up because you know they haven't watched him at all you watch him for yourself he's a 30 plus home run guy and that's conservative saying 30 plus home run guy in the majors who hits what 270 280 uh walk rate I think is a solidly above 10 percent walk rate in the major leagues is perfectly achievable uh and an above average defender at, at third base and so yeah like this is he could easily be the number two prospect in the system. Um, and I mean, we could talk about where we think he profiles long-term defensively, but just where he is right now at third base, he's, he's an above average defender with that cannon of an arm. So. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't in an organization with Gunnar Henderson, Jackson holiday, Joey Ortiz, Jordan Westberg, you know, he would be lined up. People would be just clear path for him. Third base. He's going to be there for the foreseeable future, but he can play third base really well. His cannon can play well in the corner outfield, I'm sure. First base, it feels like a waste to me to stick him at first base with that arm and just his natural 
athleticism. So I'm not going to ever put him there for me personally when I'm projecting down the line. But yeah, um, even if the walks at the major league level are only like average or a little bit above average, 8 to 10%, I mean, with his power, and I feel like the more he shows off the power, the more the walks are going to come up because pitchers aren't are just not going to want to give him anything to hit, and that makes it easier to take pitches. So it's kind of like a, a vicious cycle in a good way for a hitter as long as you can be patient enough and, and uh, have the willpower. But, yeah, it's exciting, and I'm glad we're finally doing a big segment on it this year because it's been a long time coming. He's been absolutely killing it. He's only got, only got eight home runs this year, but how many times, if you're watching his games, have he just, like, smoked one to the wall or just under it, just got under it and hit it to the warning track or pulled it foul slightly. He could easily have 12 to 15 home runs this year. So everything is looking great. We'll see uh, what happens when the levy breaks and there are some trades and him and Prieto and, and all these guys like can cascade like we're used to upwards in, in the system. Uh, the home run thing. I, I've been wanting, I would love to see like, we don't have access to this, but I would love to see going back to his whole career, the the overlay of you know, his spray chart and how many home runs would have been home runs at Camden Yards. Because I feel like the rare time that he does send a home run the opposite way, it's just like instantly tweets of like, is that the first time he's ever done that? That's the first time I've ever seen him do that. He is a pool heavy hitter. I, I get that, but he's not hitting cheapies at Bowie. And I would be shocked if very many of those home runs that he's hit uh, would be outs at Camden Yards, as in like that wall is not going to be an issue at all for him. Um, but yeah, defensively, I was you mentioned uh, how you thought it'd be a waste from at first base. I was going to uh, pose that question to you guys because like third base, he's above average defender, but I'm envisioning a, an idea, a scenario here where Kobe Mayo isn't a trade piece. And let's just say he's he's going to make his debut here with the Orioles. Jackson Holiday is not getting traded. That's the one prospect I have confidence saying is not going anywhere. But if you've got Gunner and Jackson on the left side of the infield, Kershad's out there playing the outfield, maybe Kowser, Cedric Mullins, Hayes, whatever combination of these guys. But honestly, like I don't know if I'd be too upset if he ends up at first base just because I want that bat in the lineup. But I thought he'd be playing outfield already by now, especially because I think we talked about this before that we'd probably start seeing him play in the outfield some once he settled in at the plate. He's clearly settled in, but we really haven't seen him play any outfield. So I'm wondering if we eventually do at, at any point uh, see him play some some right field at Bowie, or when he gets moved up to Norfolk and they try to have to try to get all these guys playing time at some point. But it's it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see uh, where his development takes him defensively. Yeah, and when you put it that way, yeah, I'd rather have him at first base than not in the lineup. So <laughs> yeah, you know. There, we have too many bats, too many talented players, not enough spots. Darn, what an issue. <laughs> you, you try to get him in the lineup any way you can, especially because the direction the Orioles are, are going in, and rightfully so, is left-handed power. So it's going to be good to have that right-handed bat a couple years down the line that you can trust to hit the ball out of the ballpark at Candom Yards. Now, I do agree with Bob that you are kind of – wasting Mayo's best tool defensively, which is his arm strength, you put him at first base. But any way you can mix and match and get his bat in the lineup is going to work. And the thing that I – the reason that I'm optimistic the Orioles are going to find a way to make that work is that look how they handle players at the major league level now. 
you know, Ryan O'Hearn probably shouldn't be in right field a whole lot, but they will put him out there to get his bat in the lineup. Um, they're moving Anthony Santander around. I have all the confidence in the Orioles deciding that if Heston Kerstad and Kobe Mayo are deserving of spot in the major leagues, they will rotate those two between right field, first base, D8, as often as they have to to get their bats in the lineup, especially when Jackson Holiday gets there. Yeah, and I, I would probably say with Mayo's athleticism and that arm, I would prefer if it had to come if it had to come down to this. I would probably prefer Mayo in the outfield and Kershaw at first base, too. So we don't know how the Orioles view that, that whole scenario playing out, obviously. But yeah, it's he doesn't have the versatility yet that everyone else that all these other prospects do. But he's got the tools to where if they want to make the move with him, they can. And maybe just because he's had all those injuries since they drafted him, you know, it could just be. Maybe this isn't in his future, but we're just not going to do this right now. Keep you at third base, keep you at first base and Bowie, and let's get through this year. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. That's a good point, yeah. Mm-hmm. And even if he is, like you said, between him and Kerstad, between right field, first base, DH, Gunnar Henderson, God forbid, twist his ankle every minute a week. You can slide Kobe Mayo over to third base and not really miss much of a beat. So, yeah, it's nice that – a lot of these guys can can move around if needed and yeah uh, it's crazy because we have like the third best record in baseball the Orioles but I'm still like super excited about the future because I think we're only going to get better and better as the next few years go on because we're sitting here talking about the third best team in baseball who has the third number one prospect or will have the third number one prospect of baseball and then you've got a guy like Sammy Basayo over here some 18 year old catcher who is now a top 100 prospect. He jumped, where was he ranked at Baseball Americas? Like he jumped from nowhere to 80 something. It's like, come on, guys. I mean, they it just keeps coming. What and do we I'm, have now? Not, eight, nine prospects on the top 100 for Baseball America? Eight at the time of this recording. I mean, <laughs> so like, this is unbelievable. And it, it's, it's fun to, even if this Orioles team was World Series champions and this is the 28th ranked system, Chances are we'd still be here doing the show, but for right now we get to enjoy premier major league baseball and a premier farm system as well. And it's, it's awesome. And I think it's a good uh, segue to the next prospect we're going to talk about. And it's a guy who probably would come in around the 10 or 12 range in most prospects lists right now. And not because he's not a good prospect, but because of how stacked this farm system is. And that is Judd Fabian who just continues to hit the cover off the ball with Aberdeen in last week's season or last week's series against Asheville, Fabian went 11 for 19 with three home runs, 11 RBIs and four walks to five strikeouts. He's now up to a 297 average on the season with a 401 on base percentage and nine and a 918 OPS with 20 extra base hits, including nine homers across 212 plate appearances. Fabian had a really strong summer last year after he was drafted by the Orioles and looks like a guy that could break out a little bit offensively this year. We did know, though, that there were questions about his swing and miss tendencies when he was with the University of Florida. So far, that hasn't been too much of an issue for Fabian, and he's putting up big-time production while playing his usual solid defense in center field. Bob, we've really seen Fabian's production tick up, especially since the beginning of May. What are your thoughts on the season he's having at this point? 
Yeah, he's just getting better and better as the season goes on, as he adjusts to high-level pitching. Um, swing decisions are great. He's got a 15.0% walk rate. Striking out 24% of the time as a power-hitting guy who his big issue has been the swing and miss in his game. And and can he hit for enough average? Well, he's batting 297, and his BABIP is not even that high. It's like 350. It's not too He's got 48 WRC+. plus. Yeah, I think... Again, he could probably be in double A right now. Oh, by the way, he's a year and two months older than Kobe Mayo. And uh, let that sink in for what Kobe Mayo is doing in double A. But yeah, he plays excellent outfield, center field, excellent center field, true center fielder. He can walk a ton. He's got a great eye. He's got power. And right now, he's hitting for average. He, he's made contact with the ball. And it's really nice to see. If the Orioles have figured out how to cut down swing miss, he is a legitimate top ten prospect in a loaded farm system, and the rich get richer. Yeah, I, don't know. I think I'm looking at a report here that gives him a 35 hit tool. I think that might need to be uh, updated a little bit, but yeah, he, he same thing with Kobe Mayo in a normal system in a normal year, he would not still be in Aberdeen, and he shouldn't play another game in Aberdeen. We know he probably will. Uh, it looks like promotion days are going to be Tuesdays now. It was like the Orioles like to mess with us this year, push it back a day, but uh, that's fine. Like you look at Bowie's roster, and they've got Billy Cook, Shane Fontana, John Rhodes, Zach Watson, and Dante Williams. Like Cook can play the infield. You can cut Ben Deluzio in AAA, move Fontana back up. I'm not prioritizing Zach Watson's playing time. You put Fabian in center field, John Rhodes in right field, Dante Williams in left field not a single batted ball is going to land in Bowie for the rest of the season. And Judd Fabian can play, can start facing double A pitching now, which is what I want to see. Like he, he even really wasn't lighting up the stat sheet the first month or so of the year. But then I remember like I'm watching Aberdeen and he gets a base hit and I'm like, man, I feel like Fabian has been hot. And I look and it's like, he's okay. I mean, everything's just kind of average, but the last couple of weeks, last month or so it's, He's up to, what, 10, 11 doubles, like eight home runs. I think he's homered in, what, back-to-back games now or two of the last three or something like that. The, the numbers are just phenomenal. Bob mentioned the strikeout rate. That's fantastic right now as well. We'll see what that happens in AA. But, and I've made it a priority to watch more guys defensively and make note of that. And Aberdeen has, like, the worst camera angles from these clearly, like, stationed cameras across the stadium that have numerous blind spots in the field when – balls get put in play, but Fabian's so smooth defensively out there in center field. I'd say if he's not the top center field defender among the top prospects, he's very close. Like he's, he's got the complete package. And like Bob mentioned the average, that's the kicker for me. If he's going to hit 300 in Aberdeen, what is this guy going to do when he gets up to Bowie and hit playing this hitter friendly bark? It's, I was excited about Fabian coming into this year. I'm even more excited after watching him this first half of the season. Oh, by the way, he's got 18 steals. Like, where did that come from? I know he's got, got a little bit of speed, but that's pretty crazy. And uh, since May 13th, he's batting 370 with an 1162 OPS, 321 ISO, 16.7% walk rate, and only a 22.5% strikeout rate. So the facts bear it out that he's getting better as the season goes on. He's less walking more, hitting for more power, all 11 doubles on his season. Coming at span, he also has nine home runs. So, yep, a lot of love for Judd. 
Well, and to add on to what Bob just said, look at his OPS totals by month. 764 in April, 853 in May, and so far through nine games in June, 1433. So the production has really picked up big time, as Bob identified there, probably since about the middle of May. So by August, he should have like a 2352 OPS in AAA? It seems to be about the way it's going. And Nick, I want to backtrack to what you just brought up with Bowie's lineup right now. I kind of agree with you. You could find room somewhere in the lineup and somewhere in the outfield for Fabian. Watson can go to the, you know, can play every few days off the bench. Dante Williams slides over to the left where he's going to cover everything. You're right. There's the ball would not drop in that outfield all season. And Billy Cook, is there a position that Billy Cook can't play? I mean, you can move him all over the place. I mean, he he has. He's played first, second, uh, left, right, center. I don't know if he's played much third. Uh, he definitely hasn't caught yet. But if Taron Viber can catch for you, Billy Cook can. But even if Billy Cook doesn't have the positional versatility, like Judd Fabian is the top prospect among all of these guys. Uh, so he's not getting blocked. I understand you, know, you want to make sure the swing and miss is okay. And I'm sure with all of these guys, right, there are things that you know, we don't know. Like we don't have a lot of the numbers. Uh, we're going to talk about John Rhodes, huh? Mark, um, that comment down there. Uh, there's a lot of things we don't have – you know, access to so there could be legitimate things these guys are working on but yeah I mean, there's plenty of room in this buoy lineup for a top guy like judd fabian and honestly it's i don't have a real scientific way of measuring when guys should get called up it's honestly when i'm just watching these guys on an almost nightly basis if when i start getting bored of watching a guy it's time to move up and honestly i'm bored watching judd fabian i want to see him in buoy immediately yeah, I don't have anything else to say except for did Caden Grenier change his name to Billy Cook when he changed professions <laughs> this year? Dave, I get to say very similar vibes. He might have grew like six inches and uh, widened that stance a little bit, but yeah, I, I see that. I don't know. There's a jerk in there somewhere. <laughs> there was probably better delivery, but I don't know. My brain works in mysterious ways sometimes. How long were you sitting on that one before the show? It just hit me two minutes ago. <laughs> oh, because he retired to be a chef. I got yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not drunk enough yet for that one. <laughs> got it, though. And there's a good uh, question from Dental Office. Nick, are you bored watching Cesar Prieto and Billy? Yeah, like after like the third week of the season. Um, and we'll talk about Prieto a little bit more, too, later on, but but that's the same thing. Like, where does he play in Norfolk? Where do you put these guys? I mean, it's, you've got to do something at the major league level first, or you've got to trade some of these guys, but some of these guys you can force playing time through Prieto. It's just unfortunate for him. What's happened with him right now. Yeah. We need to call in a plumber for this elite talent pipeline. Well, and I think that's a good transition point here to our next segment. If you call it the end of last week's show, you heard Nick kind of drop an idea about a segment. We were talking about Dante Williams and Nick mentioned that he wanted to give Dante Williams Colton Cowser's hit tool because Dante Williams is a great defender with a good eye to play, but he just has not hit much over his first two seasons in the Orioles farm system. So Nick was talking about what kind of prospect could you make out of Dante Williams if you, he had Colton Cowser's hit tool. And that really got us thinking 
couldn't we just do this for every player in the Orioles farm system up and down and try to come up with some good takeaways, hitters and pitchers, of tools that we would pair of different players. So, Nick, did I miss anything in that explanation? No, I think that was good. Yeah, it's fun to just – yeah, you sit there and you're like, man, if this guy could just do this, where would he be? And Dante Williams is just the one that got my brain churning on this. And then when I started thinking more and more, is we're, we're like picking our guys. Like I could sit here and do this all day long, I think, at, at this point. And I even thought about how many organizations – I don't know other organizations good enough, but this is a whole nother level. If somebody else wants to do this, go for it. But you, if you did this same exercise with other organizations – and you create this Frankenstein-type prospect from their organization, where would they rank in the Orioles system? And how many of those organizations could get the top prospect in the Orioles system? I don't know. I, I Maybe I just have too much free time on my hands. But Since this was your idea, why don't we'll each go around to our hitter first, and I'll let Nick start. This was a tougher one for me because I was just so focused on the pitchers. But I went with Dylan Beavers. Take Dylan Beavers, who he is now. He was the darling of last year's draft for, I think, a lot of people because all of the underlying data on him was so good. And a lot of those people, even people outside of the Orioles circles, right, that were you know the draft Knicks, people who had access to a lot of the, his better advanced data, still loved him. Thought it was a darling pick for the Orioles. But it seems like a lot of his, his success or failure is going to be determined by if he can hit the ball and that hit tool. He's got 60 to 70 grade power above average speed he's a solid defender he's a threat on the base paths as well and i think he's got more than enough tools to be a competent right fielder as is at the major league level and it, i went back and looked at fan write up and it said eric long and hagan said he's a 30 home run guy in the major leagues who plays great different defense but there's a real risk that he never hits and then yeah just doesn't hit high velocity all this stuff so i said what if you give dylan beavers cesar prieto's hit tool then he is a massive prospect because Prieto is hitting 362 in Bowie right now. He is the Cesar Prieto that rocked Cuba. He is super aggressive at the plate, but he only has a 6.2% strikeout rate, which is through 225 plate appearances is unbelievable. So I think Beavers with Prieto's hit tool, he's the best outfield prospect in this system with his power, I think, separating him from the pack. But then I was really thinking about this and saying, even if you did that, like how far away are Colton Kowser and Heston Kirstad behind him? I don't think they're that far, which is massive credit to how good those guys are. But yeah, my hitter was definitely uh, give me Dylan Beavers or Cesar Prieto's hit tool, and uh, I'm falling in love. Give anyone Cesar Prieto's <laughs> hit tool, and they're going to be exponentially better. <laughs> um, it's pretty sensational, the back control that that guy has. And uh, yeah, look forward to seeing whenever he makes his uh, major league debut with whatever team, if he could be the next Luis Arise or, or not. Uh, all right. I guess I'll go next. My guy is just, I already think Joey Ortiz is much perfect as it is, but what if I was thinking, what is the part of his game that could really just push him to that next elite level? And for me, he can hit the ball hard. I think he's got 20 Hermer potential pop with the bat elite exit velocities, obviously incredible defense shortstop, but he does walk like average to slightly below average. So give him Jackson holidays plate discipline. And now you're talking about probably one of the best players in the game. So that was my answer. Um, 
Yeah, I, I really just want tomorrow to be Joey Ortiz comes back to the Orioles and uh, replaces Jorge Mateo as the regular that. But if you give him uh, Jackson Holiday's plate discipline, that would definitely happen. So I'm going to go with my pick, and I just decided to have a, a little fun with this one. And Colton Calder does a lot of things really well, and he actually does run fairly well. The speed, I think, is a little underrated, but I thought to myself, what if you gave him a, elite speed? What kind of prospect would he be then? So I went with Elise Valdez's speed. Now, Valdez, I think, has stolen about 200 bases since the beginning of last year. I don't have the exact total in front of me right now. But between Delmarva last year and then he ended last season at Aberdeen, he's back there this year. Valdez has elite-level speed, but the bat has not really come around for him above Delmarva. Now you have Cowser, who does just about everything well across the board. But we still have this lingering question mark of can he play center field at the major league level? If he has the least valid as his speed, there is zero doubt that he could play center field at the major league level. And on top of that, not only is Calder now a potential leadoff hitter who's going to have a 371 base percentage in his best seasons, but he's a guy who can turn every walk into a stolen base. You know, there's one thing that Cedric Mullins has been knocked for over the course of his career. It's that he doesn't walk enough. And although he was doing that more this year until he got hurt, imagine if Mullins was a guy who had elite walk rate, how many stolen bases he would have. Now you've got the guy with the elite walk rate and the elite speed and extra base hit power to go with that. So I thought Colton Cowser with Luis Valdez's speed has to be a top 10 prospect in the game easily. I think that makes him Ricky Henderson. Like, um, <laughs> Like uh, this comment by Dental Office, is Valdez faster than Jorge Mateo? I'm not sure. I don't have the stat cast data on high A ball, but I'd love to see him in a foot race. But let's just say Valdez this season gets on base 23% of the time. That's not good. But he has 28 stolen bases. So if he was getting on base 40% plus percent of the time like uh, Colton Kowser did, yeah, I think uh, is a, a great point you have there. That would be a ton of fun to watch a player like that room in center field. Do we want to move on to uh, pitchers now? Um, I'm going with Gimme Cade Povich. Grayson Rodriguez has graduated, right? So Cade Povich is the top pitching prospect in the system. I, I don't think it's D.L. Hall. I think it's Cade Povich. And I thought about giving him someone else's fastball, but his repertoire is already so deep, and that delivery, I think, helps the fastball play up a little bit. So... I don't think that's much of an issue. The issue, I think, for me, one of the bigger things is you know, the command, obviously. But as far as the repertoire goes, the slider and curveball are good pitches. But give me Cade Povich with Carlos Tavares' changeup, which is a beauty when it's on. It's this dancing changeup that falls through this trap door right when it reaches the plate, and it is a massive weapon. I wanted to say Xavier Moore's changeup to give Xavier Moore some love and talk about him a little bit in this segment, but I've watched so much Carlos Tavera that I, I'd love his changeup the best. Um, so that completes Povich's kind of war chest of weapons that he has. But now he the trouble is throwing strikes some nights, uh, about half the nights, I think, so far this season. But if you give him the pinpoint command of Kyle Branovich, Cade Povich is now one of the top pitching prospects in all the baseball. Like Branovich doesn't have the truly elite stuff except that knuckle curve, which I know elite gets thrown around pretty loosely when talking about like prospects and tools and stuff, but Brnovich's command and that knuckle curve 
would have had him in the major leagues last year if it wasn't for Tommy John surgery. So give me Cade Povich with Carlos Tavares' changeup and Kyle Bronovich's command. You've got a superhuman. I, I was going to say like Chase McDermott's fastball, but I don't even think he would need it at that point if he's got the good changeup and the command and everything else working for him. Yeah, that would be pretty nasty. Um, for me, I, I went with, you know, the best base you possibly get for a pitcher in this organization, and that's Gene Pinto, of course. Um, you know, he works fast. He gets ground balls. He's fun to watch. He's got great slider changeup curve, uh, curveball. Great slider changeup combination that really obviously is working for him because his swinging strike percentage is like some of the best in all of Major league baseball right now in high A. If you give him the fastball of Wandison Charles, for a guy who sits in the mid, can touch upper 90s, who, let's be real, I really want to shout him out because he only has five walks to like 18 strikeouts this year. I feel like he could really be the next Felix Bautista. If uh, if the Orioles just randomly just grabbed him, Miley Ragent, and turned him into like an elite back-end arm like they have with Cano and uh, Bautista, that would be awesome. But give his fastball to Pinto, I think he could use it better than uh, Wanderson. And then you give him Cade Povich's curveball, which is insane, ridiculous, because that's like the one pitch I feel like that um, outside of an elite fastball that Pinto doesn't have at the moment. And then I just want to also shout out Ryan Watson. Give him, give Pinto Ryan Watson's just grittiness, that, that mound presence that he has, where even when he doesn't have his best stuff, like Sunday, he went out there. He's grinding. He's make. He's doing whatever he can to make it work to limit the damage. And I feel like that's super when it comes to adapting to the major league level. So give Gene Pinto, Juanis and Charles fastball, Kay Povich curveball, and Ryan Watson's mound presence, and bring home the Cy Youngs. And give every pitcher Gene Pinto's pace and tempo on the mound, and we don't even need a pitch clock. And while you're at it, can you give him that little shuffle that he does when he gets a strikeout? Because we talk about K struts all the time. Pinto's shuffle off the mound is up there among K struts as some of the best in the system. Yeah, and shout out to uh, the, was that it was the Orioles player development account giving Gene Pinto some love uh, with a little video on Twitter today. I mean, I'm not going to say we called it first, but uh, we called the Gene Pinto hype first. And uh, oh yeah, it's we were early birds on this. <laughs> It's good. I'm just. I'm glad he's. You know, fastball, all that stuff aside. I'm just glad that Pinto is. Uh, he's assuming his place back on the throne this year as a king of the system. Love to see it. So for my pitcher, I took Chase McDermott, who we know has elite level stuff, but has issues with his command, and decided to give him Garrett Stallings' command. And I feel like when you flip, you could flip these two guys and still have a really good pitcher. You could take someone like Stallings, who does not have that good of stuff but has pinpoint command and can be very efficient when he's on and give him Chase McDermott stuff and have a bona fide starting pitching prospect in the system. You could take McDermott stuff, give him Stallings command and efficiency and have an elite prospect. Either way, you have a guy who's home run prone, um, but for entirely different reasons, which is that Stallings misses his spots sometimes with that stuff and pays the price for it. Whereas McDermott, the fastball that rises up, that hoppy fastball in the zone, if it doesn't get just enough hop on it and it's coming in at 98, hitters are going to get the barrel on it and it's going to go pretty far. 
But I really thought about it, and I thought if you had McDermott stuff with pinpoint command, he probably wouldn't be a Bowie right now, or he'd be pretty close to getting out of double A and probably be one of the top pitching prospects in baseball. Honestly, you give Garrett Stallings an average home run to fly ball rate, and he might be one of the best pitching prospects <laughs> in baseball. The guy is just insanely unlucky when it comes at, or maybe he's just one of those guys that it's going to happen. But if he was giving up home runs 8 to 10% of the time instead of 17 to 31% of the time, he'd be a lot better. I'm trying to pull it up real quick here. Uh, talking about McDermott. Here it was John Muley's article today. Uh, and we were talking about this earlier. It def- we've kind of touched on the fact that we kind of see Chase McDermott almost get into this, fall into this deal hall type trap with, with the command issues. And John Mioli had a great article today. Mioli is doing the Lord's work here by doing this like arms on the farm or something series where he's highlighting the pitching prospects that, because there is legitimate good pitching talent in this organization. Uh, and he's kind of highlighting all of these guys. That was Justin Armbruster he did was the first one. He did McDermott today over at the banner. And uh, he talks about his stuff, da, 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 the fastball, and show the numbers here. If I can find it, da, 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 da. I don't see the numbers. Pitches per down. Okay, uh, the success already says opponents have a 560 OPS off McDermott at AA entering this season with a 194 batting average on balls in play. He's faced 218 batters and allowed just 13 extra base hits. He says there's not a lot of evidence that bad things happen when he does come into the strike zone. So if it's so it stands to reason if he can be around the zone more often, the outcomes would still be positive ones. So even when he throws strikes, hitters are not successful against him. The issue Minus his last two starts, which has been fantastic, he's got to throw the strikes. So, yeah, you give him Garrett Stallings' command there, it's over. And I, I like how John Milley phrased it. I mean, Chase McDermott arguably has the higher ceiling in this system. Um, I, I buy that argument. And funny anecdote that kind of goes along with Zach's pick here. I believe McDermott and Stallings both pitched in the same game one day. McDermott had one walk. Garrett Stallings had four. <laughs> they both pitched. Yeah, that's a good point. That when McDermott is in the zone, hitters generally aren't squaring up on his mistakes. I just looked at his home run to fly ball rate, nine point four, which for a guy with that velocity is pretty good. Yeah, it's and he's coming. I don't. I, I know he only walked one guy last time. I think the start before that. I don't know how many he walked. I don't have his game log in front of me, but. Oh, he walked sixth of one before that? Okay, never mind. Um, well, it was a good one-game turnaround, at least. Uh, it's He knows it was an issue. He acknowledged that when he came on the show. Uh, was that during spring training when we had him on? He acknowledged it. The organization obviously knows that. But they targeted him also knowing that the walks were up, that control was an issue. Um, so, yeah, it's... I, I was wrong. It was one again. It was five oh. and six, the two starts before that. Even better. So we're on a two strike. That's a streak. Um, I'm calling it a streak. Uh, it's yeah. We'll we'll see what he does. I mean, it's uh, John Miley pointed this out as well. We've talked about this as well. The floor, even if the control isn't there, it it goes back to again. It's a lot of the same talking points with Deal Hall. The floor, that fastball, his curveball, which I don't know how he throws that thing. He's got a major league relief floor. He could be in the major league bullpen by the end of this year. Honestly, if you really needed him, so. So out of these, you know, prospects that we've assembled, what would make the best pitcher hitter matchup? 
feel like we got to put this to a poll on Twitter or something because I like them all. I like them all, but obviously I'm going to like the ones I created because I love Joey Ortiz and Gene Pinto. Yeah, I was going to say, I wanted to put this out there on Twitter. Like, if you could give anybody or, you know, we don't really fish for YouTube stuff. So if you want to, like, put it in the YouTube comments, uh, if you could give any Orioles prospect the tool of another prospect, who would you give them? And what would you give them? I, I think it's it's fun. We're getting into the dog days of summer. We can only sit here and say like Jackson Holiday is great so many times on so many shows uh, before it gets a little old. So this it's is uh, a little fun, fun to think about. Yeah, absolutely. And with that, we'll go into our final segment of the night where we shout out players for something they've done recently, whether it's been a good game, a good week, or something interesting in their stat line. I'm going to start with Bob because. We are now a full week into the FCL and DSL seasons, and Bob has chosen to highlight an FCL prospect uh, in the segment this week. Yeah, just because, I don't know, I didn't know a ton about this guy coming into this season. I mean, I've seen the name trucking. He was in the FCL last year. He had 99 plate appearances and batted 213 with a 57 WRC+. But Rolfi Cruz has come into this season it looks like he's made some changes because he's, I mean, it's only been four games. So let's see. I'll cool my, but it is a good first week of the season over 17 plate appearances. He's batting. Wait, this is not including. We had another triple. So he, before today's game where he was what? One for two with the triple and a walk or something like that. He had a good game. He's bat 429 with a 1529 OPS, 268 WRC plus 17.6% walk rate. Same exact strikeout rate, two home runs, two triples, three stolen bases. So shout out to him. I don't, he's 11, listed at second base on Fangraphs, but I think he's been playing first base for the FCL this year. But hey, if the bat can play, I'll take a pop up name out of the uh, international signing class anytime if he can keep it up. And then my pitcher, I just want to shout out, I know we talked about him last week, but Easton Lucas, he got promoted to AAA. And he made his AAA debut, two innings, one hit, one walk, four strikeouts, runs, good start. So maybe we see him, I don't think he's going to make the major leagues this year, but maybe we see him set himself up for a surprise 40-man roster ad in the offseason or at least a chance to make his major league debut sometime next year. Yeah. The only issue with Lucas is it could be make for a very interesting conversation once we see him more in AAA is that rule five thing again uh, coming up. And now if he's going to perform well at AAA, that's a whole nother discussion. Um, but I went with uh, John Rhodes as my hitter. He's not outside of our top 50. So cheating a little bit with this one, but I know there somebody made a John Rhodes comment earlier on. Here we go. Talking about Rhodes. I don't think we've talked about him all year uh, on this show. I don't think so. And so I want to take the opportunity just to highlight him. He's hitting 370, or he hit 370 last week while leading Bowie in at bats. Uh, 433 on base percentage, had two doubles, a triple, a home run, also stole three bases. I realized this week that I had not, I don't think I'd even looked at John Rhodes' numbers this season. Uh, if I'm being honest, I've been traveling like crazy, I feel like the last like three weekends. Finally looked at John Rhodes, and uh, he's hitting 260 with a 358 on base percentage for the year. 10 doubles, four home runs, and you break it down by month. He had a 207 average, 602 OPS in April, 
241 average, 753 OPS in May. And then in the month of June, and he's only like 10 at-bats away from his April-May sample size, so fairly comparable here, 357 average, 1081 OPS in June. I hope he keeps this up because we've mentioned this a lot before in the last like two years, I feel like. Rhodes has the skills to make some pretty big noise in this organization. Uh, If I could just say add a little bit, in 89 plate appearances since May 19th, He's batting 311 with a 968 OPS, 14.6% walk rate, 230 ISO, six doubles, a triple, three homers, four stolen bases. So, yeah, he's got all the tools to be like a five-tool guy. And if he's healthy and he's finally putting it together, love to see it. And plus defender out there as well. I feel like he highlight real plays. Uh, he makes a lot of them. Um, and my pitcher... I don't care if I'm the only one on the restart bandwagon. I'm going to ride this train as hard as I can. I love this guy. I don't know exactly what it was that drew me to resharp after the draft, but I remember doing a day three draft uh, recap show. Uh, I didn't get thanks for that from the one person who complained last year that we didn't do a day three recap. But anyway, whole other story. Um, and I, I said, for whatever reason, resharp is the guy that I'm going to watch out for. I think it was Mason McCray. I'm going to do Mason McCray a shout out here because he's amazing and I love all his work. He coming into the draft, he said Sharp's got a 55 grade fastball, the makings of a sweeper with plus potential, a curveball changeup that he never uses, but he's got starter traits. He got bumped up to high A, uh, threw three and a third scoreless innings last week, two hits, three walks, five strikeouts. The walks, there are a lot of them. Uh, can't can't deny that. But he now has 24 innings into the season between Delmarva and Aberdeen. He's got a 1.5 ERA, a 115 average against, and 34 strikeouts, no home runs allowed. So just stop walking, guys. Uh, And, yeah, I I like Sharp. I sat down and got to watch him uh, a lot when he got moved out to Aberdeen in these two outings he made. Overpowering guys with a fastball at the high level, love to see that. Just get those walks down, man. And Sharp is uh, going to be a guy to watch. Here's my anecdote for him. Good news. <laughs> He's only given up nine hits over 24 innings pitch this year between low A and high A. He's walked 27 batters <laughs> and struck out 34. So at least he struck out more than he's walked. But, yeah, if he can get that command slash control under, under control, yeah, he could really take off. I'll go now with my hitter and pitcher for the week. For hitter, I want to shout out Trendon Craig, who's back after an IL stint. His week actually started down in the FCL. He had three rehab games there before moving up to Delmarva and finished his week with a three-for-four performance on Sunday against Down East and overall went seven-for-22 at the plate with three RBIs and three walks in that span. Craig was a guy that last year we thought could have some helium. He hit well in Delmarva, did get to Aberdeen at the end of the year. Right now, it's really just going to be about getting consistent at-bats for him and getting settled in. One thing to remember, Craig's still 22 years old, drafted out of junior college, so he's a little bit raw compared to some other college guys that came out of the 2021 draft class. So a little bit of time, more at-bats needed, but an encouraging start coming off the IL from him. And then for my pitcher, I'm going with a guy that's becoming a regular in this segment this year, and that's Alex Pham. Pham on Saturday struck out 11 batters over five innings of work against his two walks in a win over Asheville. With that performance, Pham has now struck out 67 batters, 
this season over 45 and a third innings pitch, posted a 2.58 ERA and a FIP of 3.57 in that span. So he's been really effective out of the gate for the Ironbirds and has another double-digit strikeout outing over the weekend. Yeah, and another good thing that the FCL is back, it's not just that we get all these great prospects to talk about and keep track of. We get a sneak preview of who's coming back from injury. Uh, Colin Burns was 0 for 3, for example, so it sounds like he'll be back soon. Instead of just, oh, this person's back, they were added back to the roster. It's, oh, this person's starting to get at-bats in the FCL, probably a week away from returning. And Trenton Craig was that this week, as well as Ryan Higgins and a couple of Toby Welk, I think. So, yeah, uh, great to see Craig back. And looks like a lot of guys are getting healthy right on this time. So reinforcements, we needed them. Yeah, I was I was going to throw out one more name here real quick. Uh, you mentioned FCL and guys coming back. I forgot Zach Lowther was in the organization until he pitched one in in the FCL, and then the Orioles said, never mind, you can uh, leave but um, and cut him. But uh, Michael Hernandez, just shout out Michael Hernandez because he's pretty much almost fell out of our top 50, I think, with our latest update. Uh, five games. He is 8 for 24, so a 333 average. Hit his first career home run uh, today when we were, before we recorded this. Uh, 361 base percentage, 902 OPS. Only five games, but uh, another shortstop to add to this organization if he's going to turn things around. He's still only 19 years old. Doesn't turn 20 until after the season, October. So love to see that from Michael Hernandez. It's funny we talk about the shortstop depth at the top of the minor league system. But wow, at the bottom, if some of these guys pan out internationally, Ben Cosme, Hernandez, Arias, Tavera, or not Tavera, uh, the new guy, Luis Almeida, sorry, uh, Aaron Estrada, like the list just is insane at the lower minors, even if only half of them end up being anything. Absolutely. And uh, it's been fun this week to look at the Orioles farm system from top to bottom and highlight some of the guys that are really breaking out with big performances and we will be back next week in the meantime you can follow us on twitter at bsl on the verse and also check us out on facebook and instagram and while you're browsing around the internet be sure to head over to baltimoresportsandlife.com where you can catch the latest coverage on the orioles the ravens college sports and more and while you're on bsl be sure to hop on the message board and join in discussion with fellow readers of the site as well as contributors for Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On The Verge. That'll do it for this week's episode of On The Verge. Be sure to check out our Patreon page where you can help show your support for the show and get bonus content, including monthly top 50 updates to our prospect list and daily game recaps during the season and much, much more. High Five Casino. Social casino fun with real prizes and big Vegas hits. Have you had your High Five moment today? Hey there, I'm Bob. Before High Five Casino, my high fives were more like low threes. But after my high five moment, boom, high fives all around. That's the spirit. High Five Casino is turning every moment into a high five moment. Visit h5c.fun. That's h5c.fun. And start spinning and winning today. High Five Casino. High Five Casino is a social casino. Only. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. Play responsible. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment 
to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.